Welcome. When cruel and evil people gain power, you might be tempted to forget just how great God's power is. At such times then, it's good to look at a psalm like our psalm for today, which is Psalm 93. My name is Keith Simons. I'm a Bible teacher from England and I present these talks on how to understand the King James Bible using the book of Psalms and looking at each psalm verse by verse and word by word. So if you're able, please turn with me to Psalm 93. This psalm has no ancient title, so we begin at verse 1. The Lord reigneth, he is clothed with majesty. And that phrase, the Lord reigneth, the Lord rules, it could be translated, the Lord is king. We're focusing on just how strong and how powerful a king God is. The psalm doesn't tell us when this is happening, when God is rising up in majesty and strength to save his people from their enemies. But when we look, especially at the historical accounts of the Old Testament, we see many, many times when God did this to save Israel's people from their enemies. And yet the psalm is also prophetic because it looks forward to that great time when King Messiah is about to rule and when God will defeat every evil force in this world to set up his rule on earth. It describes the Lord being clothed with majesty and then it says the Lord is clothed with strength. So the picture is of a king putting on his royal robes or of a soldier who is putting on the clothes that he needs to fight a great battle. Let's look at these clothes which the Lord wears in the psalm. The first of these clothes is called majesty. And uh, that could, the Hebrew word could be translated pride. If that word were used of a proud person, then it would say that proud person is clothed with pride. But when it's referring to God, it's not referring to any false greatness. It's referring to true greatness. And that true greatness is called majesty. His power as a king, his authority as a king. And in addition, he has a second garment here, like someone who puts on one item of clothing on top of the next, because the Lord wears over his clothing of majesty, strength. Yes, he has true power. He is the all-powerful God. No enemy is greater than him. No enemy is stronger than him when he rises, back, rises up to defeat his enemies, they will be totally defeated. The Lord is clothed with strength wherewith he hath girded himself. To gird means to tie around yourself, uh, usually a belt. 
you tie a belt round yourself. Um, soldiers in ancient times, in biblical times, they would in normal life wear long robes that reached down to their feet. It wasn't practical for fighting in a battle. If you're fighting in in a battle, you need short clothes. You need your legs to be free to move quickly. So you would take a belt and you would put that belt around your waist, ready for the battle. And it wasn't just soldiers who did this. Any strong man who needed to do strong work, someone who carried things, someone who did agricultural labour, the first thing they did before they began to work was to gird themselves, to tie a belt so their clothes were not so long, so that they could exercise their strength. And so this is a word picture, this girding, for someone who's about to carry out a great act of strength. And then the declaration at the end of verse 1, the world also established that it cannot be moved. The world, the, the phrase means especially the inhabited world. And that will make sense later on when we're talking about the floods and the waves of the sea rising up against God in opposition. So we're talking here about the inhabited world, the place where people live. God has established it. And that, that word, the world, it could mean just the land of Israel. So this psalm was especially relevant for Israel's people as God acted to defend them against their enemies. But it could mean the whole inhabited world, everywhere where people live, God's established it. God's made it strong. That's why God is clothing himself with majesty and strength in order to make strong the place where people live so that it cannot be moved. Oh, when evil people rise up, the earth is shaken, isn't it? It's disturbed, we say, by their power, by their evil rule. But God establishes the world. God makes it firm and firm and strong against these evil people. Verse 2 begins a prayer, a prayer that sort of becomes a declaration of how God will defeat his enemies. And so this prayer reads, Thy throne is established of old, thou art from everlasting. Thy throne means God's throne. Thou, in this verse, means God himself. God is king. He rules. And the symbol of his rule is his royal seat, his throne. The throne that he had since the beginning of the world. The royal seat that he had since before the worlds began, before anything was created. He was God. He was king. And at the end of time, he will still be God. He will still be the king. So we see that any ruler on this earth, any government, any nation, any empire, is just a recent thing. It may have lasted a thousand years, but it's something new by God's time scale. An innovation. 
something which God with his ancient kingdom, his ancient rule, his ancient throne can easily defeat. Thou art from everlasting. The New Testament says Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today and forever. God, the eternal God, God is rising up to support his people and to defeat those evil people who've risen up against him. They've risen up. And that thought of rising up is right through this this psalm. We saw it in the word majesty in verse 1, where God is rising up. And now in verse 3, it's the floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The Hebrew word that is translated floods three times in this verse is, it really means rivers. It's the usual Hebrew word for a river. Why have the King James translators translated it flood? Well, you see, when a river rises up, when it lifts up, to use the word of this verse, well, then it floods. It floods over its banks. It covers a huge area of land. It threatens the inhabited earth where people are supposed to live. And when an evil ruler, an evil power rises up, he threatens the place where God wants his people to be. He threatens God's people. So no wonder God's people call out to him in verse 3. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. There's something else happening here with this floods, this river's word. Because if you look at the nations of the ancient world, they were proud of their their rivers. Their capital cities were built on rivers, great and mighty rivers. The most obvious one, perhaps, is the River Nile, which flowed through the heart of Egypt and gave to Egypt its strength and its greatness. But we see other great rivers in the Bible. This is the river Euphrates, which was a symbol of the power of the mighty empire of Babylon. Or when Naaman wanted to boast of his home country, Aram, also called Syria, he spoke of the great rivers, two of them, that flow through the capital, Damascus. The rivers, symbol of the nations, lifted up their voice. But someone says, well, what about Jerusalem, the capital of Israel? What is its great river? And if you look at a map of Jerusalem, ancient Jerusalem, you'll find no river there. It's built on the top of a hill. There is a stream uh, which runs by the city, outside the city walls, but there is no river. Oh, Israel does not have a river, except for the picture in, in the book of Ezekiel of the river that flows from the temple of God. Does, so without a river, how can Israel defend itself? Oh, Israel does not defend itself. It turns to the Lord and in trouble and in need, it prays. The floods have lifted up, O oh Lord. The floods lift up their voice. 
the voice, the noise of the floods, that they're, they're shouting. These nations, these enemies, these proud people shout against God and against his people. But it's only shouting. It's only a voice. It's only a noise. The floods lift up their waves. This is not the same Hebrew word as the mighty waves of the sea that appear in verse 4. Oh, floods can rise up and the waters can rise up, but it's weaker even than the, than the waves that rise from the sea. The rivers are so weak. Surely they cannot be more powerful than the Lord, the God whose throne is from ancient times. No, verse 4. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters. The Hebrew could be translated mightier than the noise of great waters, or even mightier than the thunder of great waters. The waters can make a noise. These rivers, these floods can lift up their voice, verse 3. But the Lord is still mightier. They're lifting up. How high does, does a flood of water lift up? Just a few feet, and that causes all the damage. Or a few metres, if you're in a metric country. It doesn't really rise up very far, but it causes such damage. Yet the Lord, does it overthrow his throne? Where is his throne? He is the Lord on high. He is the Lord who rules in heaven above. He is nowhere near these floods. He is much higher than them. He is much more mightier and more powerful than them. They shout their cries, the enemies of anger against God. But God has true power. God utterly defeats them. Why, it's not just the little waves that can rise on a river or in a flood that God defeats. God is mightier, yea, than the mighty waves of the sea. Even when the sea rises up with its tremendous waves which crash which, with such noise on the beach, that deafening sound of a storm at sea, that doesn't defeat the Lord. The Lord sits enthroned above it all. He is powerful. He is strong. He is majestic. He is holy. His power is above them all as he establishes the, inherit, the inhabited world so that it cannot be moved. He establishes the order of what goes on in this world. He defeats those enemies. Verse 5. And our prayer has turned into a song of praise. Or maybe it's a statement of our faith in God. Because we declare to God, thy testimonies are very sure. The testimonies, the evidence which God has given us. The evidence of his promises to Israel, to his people. God has made those promises in the Bible and they are very sure. They are certain promises. 
they are not just words that can be overturned and defeated. The voice or the noise in verse 3 and 4, those were just sounds that were easily defeated. But what God has declared is certain. It's very sure. His people can always trust him. And the final line, holiness becometh thy, thine house, O Lord, forever. Holiness. The fact that God is perfect. The fact that he is above all else. The fact that he's separate from people and his people are separated for him. God's people need to be a holy people. They need to live in a pure and perfect way. And God defends them because of his holiness, because he is pure and perfect. And so we pray, holiness becometh. Holiness is right for your house. Holiness is pleasing. Holiness is good. As another psalm says, Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. My name is Keith Simons. I would love you to write to me. My email address, 333kjv at gmail.com. I won't be putting you on any mailing list, but I would like to know especially which part of the world you're from or if you're in the United States which part of the United States you're in. 333kjv at gmail.com Now let me read you the whole of Psalm 93. The Lord reigneth. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed with strength, wherewith he hath girded himself. The world also established, that it cannot be moved. Thy throne is established of old, thou art from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord, the floods have lifted up their voice, the floods lift up their waves. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, yea, than the mighty waves of the sea. Thy testimonies are very sure. Holiness becometh thine house, O Lord, forever. <laughs>